Welcome to Morning Coffee and Mimosas. I'm Christina. And I'm Joe. We are a father-daughter duo. We come here Sunday mornings, but you can come here anytime you please. We banter about life, about business, and we do it over coffee and mimosas. Good morning. Good morning, Dad. See, last time I didn't say good morning right away, but this time I did. You are just changing things up, and I, I don't keep even it, know. Keep, keep me it on my circulating. Toes. That's right. Today we have a very special guest with us and in person. Hi, Sam. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sharing friends with my dad now. Yes. Because I yeah. think Sam might like my dad more than he likes me at this point. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Probably. So listeners, we are into another incredible episode of our Resilience series, and I just said hi to Sam, but we have with us one of my husband and my oldest friends, best friends, Sam Moravati, one of the most resilient and driven people that I have the pleasure to know in life, and I think if any of our listeners know Sam, they would agree. Sam is a leader in customer experience in the tech field. So when you think about literally taking other people's problems on your shoulders, I'm probably simplifying what you do, but that's what I hear when I hear you talk about the things that you do and the problems that you solve for customers every single day. So why is Sam with us today? Well, about a year ago, actually October of last year, Sam had, and I will not share everything here, but an absolutely unbelievable accident. This guy got hit by a freaking car and in an incredibly terrifying way. And I I just remember when we got the call and found out and were so scared for what the future would or would not look like. So I say that to say that we are so blessed that you walked through the door and sat down here with us a year later. So Sam, thank you for joining us today. And thank you for agreeing to share your story and get deep and personal with us and our listeners. Cause I think there's just so much that everyone will be able to take away from this. I'm a big fan. So thanks for having me. Resilience is definitely something that's part of my life and what I've had to deal with. So makes sense. and. It's an honor to be here. Well, thank you. That's great. Great. So why why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and the Sam before, why you are so resilient. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll start a 30,000 foot view. Moved here to the States when I was one. We came here with nothing. I, I learned to be resilient from my mother, having numerous jobs, figuring out life here in the States and working hard, right? Working hard through whatever situation was in front of us. First generation to graduate college, uh, to go to school, to get, you know, real education and be part of the workforce. And that has continued to be what I've done through my life. Opportunities, challenges, started work at 13, any job I could do just to make some ends meet and help the family. That driven force has always just been part of who we've been and who I've been. And that's continued through work, through life, through family. Family's been a big part of who I am. I'm married, have two kids, beautiful wife. Adorable little girls. Thank you. Awesome wife. Thanks for sharing Sam with us this morning. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really a really high level 
Joe, of um, I've always been the person to realize how lucky I am, how lucky my family is for the support, for the help to get to where we have gotten in life. Wasn't on our own accord. We were very hardworking. We've always been, but it was through the help of other people. And anytime I've had the ability of helping as well, I've taken the challenge in that right. too. I think the number one thing that I try to emulate is always thankfulness. Mm -hmm. Right. And with that equally is determination, determination of work, determination of myself, what I believe I am capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And when someone tells me I can't do something, that oh. makes me want to do it even more. One of your hallmarks has been your, I don't want to say driven in a negative sense, but driven to succeed, driven to accomplish, right? To succeed and advance at work and with your family and so on, right? So that's that's one of your signature hallmarks, right? Yeah, signature hallmarks to, to a detriment, right? And with that comes a lot of sacrifice, mm -hmm. right? You've talked about this before in previous episodes, Joe, of building your own business, the challenges of growing up with a family, mm -hmm. being part of something that's growing and being determined towards your goals and what you have to give up to get to those. And a lot of times I made the decisions of focusing on career versus family, which is super important to me. Should be equal. Sometimes weren't. And sometimes allowed the work and motivation to get in the way of family right. and the things that are important. And... That's where that balance has been very difficult in the past of the previous Sam. I think along the lines of you sharing who Sam was before, that's the Sam that like, as your friends, I think we all saw like Sam was the friend that was working until like four in the morning sometimes or midnight and then helping his mom or dropping everything to help us if we needed something or you know, there with his girls, still a good dad. There was his family. So it was like my husband, Brad, and I would remark, like, how does Sam do it? Always with a smile on his face and never, you know, somebody that you're like, oh, Sammy's never in a bad mood, right? I'm sure that you are. But like the resilient and positive mindset that you have always had, despite, I think, a lot of adversity that you've dealt with throughout life, you always did it with, I think, just like a, a smile on your face. That whole mentality of gratitude comes through because you were always the person that was there to cheer everyone else on too. So thanks for sharing that. I mean, I'm glad that that emulates through of who I am because that's who I try to be. And yeah, there's, with everything is challenge and ups and downs and the roller coaster. And you'll hear me say roller coaster a few times this morning, previous to October of last year. And even to today, um, it's never easy. You know, everyone goes through challenges. Not, not everything is as pretty as it looks. And yeah, there was some rough years. Yeah. So. Well, and I think that's the whole reason why we wanted to do this series. And for our listeners is that everybody goes through challenges. And I'm talking about like what other people saw from you. And I think that, you know, everybody has kind of like that rose-colored glasses when you look at other people, but nobody realizes what other people go through to maintain that positive attitude or to put the smile on their face outwardly or to be there to help other people. Sometimes it's not easy helping yourself. So I think that this series 
and Sam, what you're sharing with us today is just so special for people because even the people that you think have it all together, maybe they've just got some better coping mechanisms or maybe they've, they've found life hacks and things like that to allow them to keep showing up for other people when it's not necessarily that easy to show up for yourself. 100% there. The thing I think about most, and I talk to my wife about this a lot, is the social mediaism. Yes. Like life is not what people portray on social media. That's mm -hmm. the best of them. There's a whole other world that's 99% of who they are. And listen, some people do live extravagant, amazing lives. But I bet you majority of those people that you're seeing that show all these amazing trips and pictures and food and whatever it might be have a whole lot of shit that they're dealing with. Definitely. Right. Everybody's shoveling their own shit. Some people make their garden look nicer. <laughs> Very true. Does that even, so, I don't even know if that made any sense. Of course it did. <laughs> but I want to know. I want to know what happened. Bring us to October of 2020. So let me paint the picture. This thing called COVID happened. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. As Christina said, I was working hard, spending too much time at work, focused on my career and my work. And COVID caused so much stress on everything. Family, work, customer relationships. For the better in certain ways, I didn't have to commute into the city. I was at home, seeing my parents more but there was just so much more work to do. And with that came extraordinary pressure to deliver as well. Being focused on driving myself even harder and delivering the best results possible, I took my work level to a 12 from a 10. And burnout was happening. Burnout to the point where, as Christina said, I was up till four in the morning sometimes, I was barely sleeping, and I realized that after, I don't know how many months it was, seven, eight, nine months of continually doing this, I needed something for myself. I am an avid car collector, sport, car racing, sports fanatic, um, wasn't taking the time to like take care of me. And taking care of me is not going to the spa. Mm -hmm. Taking care of me is going for a drive. I find myself very calm when I drive. I find myself at ease and at peace. I find myself the most happy behind the wheel of a car driving at high speeds. So instead of doing that on the highways, I decided that I was going to take one day of the month for myself. Let it be a Friday, which my company was providing to us called Fridays, or on the weekend when there was an event like what happened on October 18th. I had to sign up for an event. It was at a racetrack, enclosed course, safe. Again, I'll use that word safe again, where people pay to be part of an event that's controlled, that is pre-approved, pre-signed up, and has a controlled environment for those that share my passion, and I call it my sickness, of racing. I wanted to join you guys at these races until October 18th. I used to tell Brad, God, I want to do that. It seems so fun. I'm just getting pulled over on the road, you know, speeding <laughs> to be somewhere that's contained and where it's allowed. It's, it seemed like um, a really happy place. It was. It was my happy place. For those that don't know, it's called autocross. So please don't think like Dale Earnhardt on a racetrack with 17 <laughs> other cars. Like, 
oh yeah it's safe no no this is a racetrack that one car at a time goes around there's actually two cars but regardless one car is not near the next car so you're racing against yourself it's a time trial so it's just fun at the end of the day some people take it much more seriously than others right. some people have much more expensive cars than others at the end of the day it's just a fun event get that adrenaline rush do your drive talk about it with some friends meet some new friends go home go home i didn't go home um i had raced in the morning i did my drives my laps in the morning those that were watching the first half they drove the second half and i was watching those individuals again covid wise we were all spaced out x number of feet apart and about seven cars in after the second group of racers was going around something didn't feel right uh there was a car that went around that corner that i was on they estimated doing about 90 miles an hour that was not the car that hit me <laughs> but something didn't feel right because i felt the wind and when you feel a car go by you when you're not close to it i was like i'm too close let me take a few steps back painting a picture i was probably 30 40 50 feet away 60 i don't really know far enough away where i'm on the grass i'm not on the racetrack the next car going by as i'm looking at the car that went by at 90 because i'm following it i heard something behind me and when i looked back i saw him coming at me well i heard him i should say i heard his tires and the place that he was losing control was not the place that typically individuals lose control it was going into the corner well before the corner makes you lose control which to me was an indication that he was completely out of control which he was by the time i saw him i had three seconds the estimated he was doing between 50 and 70 so let's just call it 60. <laughs> <laughs> um he was doing 360 degree rotations came onto the grass and the last thing i remember well second the last thing i remember was run <laughs> so i did <laughs> and when i say that um you can't outrun something doing 60 miles an hour yeah. fight or flight comes into place so i may have gotten two or three steps may have <laughs> and the last thing i remember was jump so you saw the car coming at you and knew like this is freaking it like i better I remember him coming at me and looking over my left shoulder and said, run. And there's a choice to make there. Do you freeze? But you don't have a choice because your body's freezing. Do I run straight? Do I run left? Do I run right? Split second decision, I went left. If I had gone straight, if I had gone right, what would have happened? Maybe no change. Maybe I wouldn't be here. Maybe I would be paralyzed. But I went left. And again, maybe two steps. He likely would have hit me anyway. How he would have hit me, unsure. To paint the picture there of what that's like is pure terror. And the last thing I remember was, like I said, jump. So I did. And for the listeners that don't know me, I'm not a very athletic man. <laughs> but you try. <laughs> I do try. I used to play volleyball. I used to play basketball. I used to play football. I don't play any of those anymore. Well, and to be clear for the listeners, he's saying he's not a very athletic man. It's just because this is an 
formerly athletic man that has been highly injury prone <laughs> in, in athletics. <laughs> yes, I have broken a lot of things in my body. But I say that because I got pictures of the vehicle after the fact. And based on measurements and assumptions, I jumped about three and a half feet up in the air. Human person, other than like LeBron James and Michael Jordan, don't do such things. Fight or flight. I don't know. I think I tried to jump like completely over the car. I just wasn't able to. Um, and if I hadn't jumped, I likely would have been a pancake. So I hit the rear of the vehicle. It was a Porsche with the motors in the back, which flung me up in the air. I landed on the roof like above his head, which I compacted the car about 8 to 10 inches down. You can see an outline of my body mostly. The car continued to spin in the 360, threw me off at the rate of speed, whatever it was that he was going. And of all places, because, you know, there's a lot of grass and not a lot of asphalt, I landed on the asphalt. To give a picture of how far, a friend that I was with who saw it happen estimates I did four to five full cartwheel rotations in the air and then landed on the ground like a sack of potatoes. Um... Did I land on my shoulder first and then my butt, a.k.a. my pelvis? Or did I land on my pelvis first and then my shoulder? My shoulder is what took the brunt. And my pelvis and my back and everything else that broke. You were broken. Definition of. That's You were literally the definition of broken. Five breaks in my pelvis, different places. Three vertebrae in my back, ribs on my left side, collarbone on my left side, shoulder left side, scapula left side, muscle tears in my calf, um, they thought fingers broken but not, road rash all over my body, scars, I have a whole lot of metal in me now. Bionic man. Yeah, it's good, feels great, but yeah, that's, uh, wow. that's what happened on, on that day, and uh, the worst part about it is, is I remember. The worst yeah. part about it is that I see it. I used to have nightmares about it. Day nightmares and night nightmares. Now I see it and I just know it's part of who I am. Yeah. It's a year out now. Obviously, the moments, hours, days following October 18th were unclear, right? Every minute you were figuring out what the future was going to look like airlifted i mean this was you didn't know if you were paralyzed for days right so what has it's a year out what has this journey looked like for you from then to now yeah again to take a step back there as christina mentioned um they did airlift me was very aware of what was going on i was at the point of almost telling people what to do or take it back there i was telling people what to do <laughs> I was telling the ambulance to call a helicopter. I was telling the helicopter to take me to a Trauma 1 medical center. I didn't even know what a Trauma 1 medical center is, but something in my brain that said, I need to advocate for myself and make sure I'm getting the care that I need. It's they amazing. laughed at me. <laughs> they said, well... They're like, this guy watches Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy or something. <laughs> Chicago Fire, or I don't know. Something along those lines. And um, to answer your question, I think it's just, you know, I I, I had to jump in and figure out what I needed to do to make sure I was being taken care of. And yeah, I mean, 
from the ambulance to the medevac, from the medevac to the hospital, I needed to make sure I was doing what I needed. I've really never, ever put myself first. I'm not that kind of person, for better or for worse. And in that moment, I needed to make sure I was safe. And I couldn't move my legs. I couldn't move my arm. I couldn't see my arm at one point. It was behind me, basically. And that's a scary thought. <laughs> and I remember that feeling. I remember them poking me. But I'm grateful they were poking me because then I started feeling it. Couldn't move my feet. Couldn't move my toes. Couldn't feel anything. I just knew something was wrong. And it's a terrible feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible, yeah. terrible feeling to go through. And the pain. That's a very interesting word that you say, Joe. Hmm. Pain. When you're in so much pain that you don't even know what it is, where does it hurt? It was everywhere. <laughs> they right. said, where does it hurt? Yeah. I said, I don't know. I'm in pain. Yeah. Where um, doesn't it hurt? Again, to this day, the only thing I wasn't affected was my right arm. And I remember swinging it around and saying, like, this is the only thing that I feel. I was also on drugs, everyone. <laughs> Probably some very, very strong sedatives, and they were telling me to stay calm, and I couldn't. Yeah, pain. You know, pain has followed me since that day, and pain follows me every day. But So when you were going through all of this, right, and kind of reconciling with where you were at and what you were going to need to do, and I feel like, you know, being kind of a very far-removed bystander, but... Brad and I were certainly like every piece of information we could get to know how you were. And, and then when we finally got the opportunity to talk with you or FaceTime you, you were, how are you guys doing? We're like, Sam, don't ask about us. Like you are broken. What's going on? Like, how are you healing? You know, physical therapy, whatever. From the first kind of like prognosis from your doctors, it was, you wouldn't be walking for at least six to nine months if you would walk the way you used to, right? Like countless surgeries. So to paint the picture for the listeners, and we're talking about this event and obviously the, the trauma that you carry now as a result of that and the pain that you carry. But to paint a picture for the listeners, and we were talking about this the other day, for people that see you now, you are Sam Moravati 100%. You're not jumping and playing volleyball, but you're driving, you're walking, you're not walking with a limp. Like, and it's almost, it's, it's gotta be harder now in a sense, maybe not harder, but because people look at you and they see Sam, like. They don't believe it. Yeah. People that I know or people that I don't know, they think I'm making it up. And that's, it is difficult to your point. It's, um, I don't want to say living up to expectations, but they're like, wait a second. <laughs> You got hit by what? Mm -hmm. And what happened? But wait, you're walking. You're talking and you move and you drive and you work and you do. But that's what it's been. That was my goal. You said it before. They, they told me I wouldn't walk on my own two feet unassisted for likely a year. Likely. Minimum six months to nine months. Likely a year. And I said, bullshit, I'm going to do it in half. The way I see it is when you're given a situation that you can control, 
if you don't do everything you can to make it the best possible outcome, you're shorting yourself. And the same way in which I was detailed and hardworking and driven and focused and four o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, I turned off the switch of work, kind of, I'll tell you about that in a second. And I turned on the switch of recovery. And I said to myself and every medical professional that came in, doctor, nurse, whatever, what do I need to do to get better? And I listened and I asked questions. And I didn't trust everything they told me because I want to advocate for myself. And that's what I had to do. So I did. I love that. That's a really important point. And I think you need to be your biggest advocate. And the same way you were always protecting other people and always there for other people, you were able to show up for yourself. But I think it's an important thing for you know listeners and, and just people to be aware of. You may get told by somebody that you can't do something or you may get advice from an expert or a professional, but it doesn't mean that it always applies to you because your drive and your will to take things in the direction that you took things was stronger than what any medical analysis could have predicted. A thousand percent. And that's the thing, you know, it's, it's a challenge, right? The way I see it was, again, don't get me wrong. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of misery involved. And it wasn't like the next day, Joe, I said, you know what? I don't care what these people say. It took some time, you know, and it still takes time. It takes a lot out of my life daily to continue to push through because again, I may make a podcast or a post on social media or whatever that gets a lot of attention of like, wow, this guy is resilient or this guy is a hero or I don't know these other words, inspirational. There's a lot of time that's behind the scenes that I am not those things. But that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's the part of resilience. The, it, resilience doesn't mean you're not depressed. It doesn't mean you're not suffering. You literally are depressed, angry. Uh, why did I go that day? I should have gone the other day. That jackass wouldn't have been driving the car. It would have been this, right? The thousand questions that uh, I'm sure have gone through your mind. And uh, that's why I love that we're doing this because, yes, the inspiration is important to help people going through at their worst point to say, I can get better and I will get better. But they also have to understand it's perfectly normal to be really down in the dumps, but, but that you can get through that. Well, and I think you said something that is really important because you mentioned the word roller coaster. And I think that's an important distinction for people that are going through something that you need to take inspiration, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be inspired and then just be on top of the world forever. It's so not going to go just forward all the time. Yeah. Right. So would you talk a little bit yeah. about the highs and lows? What does that roller coaster mean to you when you said that? Yeah, it's a great point. You, you both talk about the roller coaster in, in, in a different way. And it's, it's the perfect emulation of who I am and how I've lived. In order to go up, you have to come from down. And unfortunately, whatever's up is going to come down. It's just the trend that you're living on. Maybe you don't come down as much. Maybe you only come down 50%. But guess what? That's 50% higher than you were before. And I want to go 50% higher than I was before. So my trend wants to go up to the right. I'm a numbers guy. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you know, like the lows of I'm stuck in a 
hospital bed and I can't move. I literally can't move. And talk about low. Like, I felt like nothing. I felt so empty. Family, friends, support, everything was there. And I tried to have that, like, strength of, I got this. And it was so hard because I couldn't do anything for myself. You know, texting, calling, eating. It was difficult. Anything. And I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to get over it. I was like, when is this nightmare going to be over? To the roller coaster of sitting in my first wheelchair and like being able to move, which wasn't moving, but it was some freedom of my body can actually sit in this thing now. And I mean, it was grueling. It was painful. I was so miserable after a few minutes, but I was like, oh my God, I can get out of this bed after how long? Two months? Horrible feeling. But the tears and the joy of something so simple of I can, I can roll myself for the first time to my side and get some relief. Hi. Low. I feel my back now. And it does not feel good. So yeah, stop moving. Stop rolling. I can't deal with moving to the high of seeing my kids for the first time after the incident. To the low of seeing the disappointment in my wife's eyes, my family's eyes, you know, with love, but just I could feel their pain for me when they came to see me. And that's a bad feeling. Mm. That's something that sits with you. Like, I didn't just do this to me. I did this to other people too. And then they leave. Right? Because they can't stay there forever. And then the thoughts that go through your brain of what Joe just said, like, if I wasn't, if I could have, why did I? All these things go through your head. And then I realize, like, oh, my God, I can move my fingers now. So it's such a roller coaster of life. But I'll say two more things if I can. Please. Taking my first shower and being able to sit in a car I mean, driving was amazing, but like just getting into a car for the first time after. It's like simple things. And again, I'm a different breed of human. I understand. Like other people are going to be like, getting in a car? Why did you care? For me, that's freedom. And getting in a shower and not having a sponge bath is such a release of tension and control. And just like, again, back to freedom. It was... I remember them vividly, both of those. Just the feeling of being able to. Mm -hmm. Super high. Like, highest the roller coaster could ever be. And then whatever it was, like, you know, came back down to earth. But you were learning to reappreciate these things that you just had before. The ability to get in a car and drive. Oh, yeah. The ability to take a shower. All of a sudden, that was the best thing you could have ever imagined. I, dr I dreamt of it. Mm -hmm. I would remember, like, what does it feel like to have water come out of this thing in the wall and just hit my face? You're like, Amy, can you just squeeze the sponge above <laughs> <Right>. my head? <laughs> Poor Amy. That, so that woman is a saint. She is a saint. Amy is Sam's wife, and she is a saint. You said something before, and it just made me think how difficult this aspect of this must be for you. 
you talked about, and I know you as a person did not do much for yourself and do not really do a whole lot for yourself. So when you were, you're talking about the pain in your kid's eyes, your, you know, in, in Amy's eyes, that must have been such a hard thing for you because you, this happened to you doing that thing that you loved to do for yourself. That one thing that you did for yourself. That's the hardest part. I don't have that now. And I've had to find other ways of filling it, which is neither here nor there, you know, which I'll get to. But yeah, the pain of, you know, my kids and my wife and my family, kids thankfully are resilient and they're just so pure. Wake up the next day and they're just like, start fresh. Not that yesterday's wiped away, but dad's home. I can go give dad a hug, kind of. That was a great joy of being home. Even though I couldn't really be home, I wasn't, I wasn't a father. I, was, I wasn't doing the things I would usually do as a father. I was just in the house, in our living room for a number of months. Well, and I also remember <laughs> we would be on the phone with you and <laughs> the kids were playing around you and you, were, you couldn't get any PC there. <laughs> no, I was... Uh... Not like you could tell him to stop and then make him stop. Well, he was literally in the living <laughs> right, room in, right. a, in a bed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Uh... The way my house is, uh, the living room, dining room, and kitchen are on the same floor. And uh, my freedom was getting in the electric wheelchair and moving into the other room, which isn't another room because it's just like one wall. <laughs> so I was like, I'm leaving. You kids are too loud. And I'd go into the kitchen. And then my wife would come start, you know, cooking dinner or something. I'm like, someone give me a break around here. I need to get out of this place. Um, yeah, so it was, it was rough for everyone, but we got through it with a, with a sense of humor. And I think (laughs) just all of you, I mean, the kids, Amy was amazing. So what's, what's Sam's life now on the other end of this, you were driven before you spoke about how work was your focus and your family and. And then you had to take that focus and move it into healing and walking earlier than they told you. And you're on the other side of that in pain, still suffering, not the same, you know, not physically the same, but what's the mental and professional life for you now, a year out? Life today is so different. Therapy and recovery is equally as important to me as work as in my career as equal as my family life. And that's a hard balance to do. I wake up in the morning, I go to therapy every day, physical therapy, occupational therapy, cognitive therapy, and speech therapy. And that's a lot. It's a lot to take over. I'm just thinking of Catholic grammar school. It feels like me being in grammar school again, going through one one subject after another. Yeah, that's all before 11. Yeah, wow. Then uh, come home, get ready for my day, do my work, make sure I'm home for dinner, and shame on me, I wasn't really home for dinner before, and now I would say I'm home for dinner three and a half out of five days of the week. Yes, there can be a half day if you do averages. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You you have like a snack for dinner? Snack for dinner, eh, something like that. I mean, home for dinner, 
doesn't mean I don't eat dinner. Believe me, I eat dinner. And that's, you know, it's, it's a big challenge and change because I have to think about not going back into the same routine mm -hmm. so that I don't feel burnt out. Everyone has their things. I call it going to the salon or going to play golf or like going to do something. Everyone needs that break away from life. I just need to make sure I don't get to the point where I'm so burnt out from whatever it might be that I'm forcing myself to go do something. And I know the question is going to be what has replaced the acceleration of cars and speed. Is it wine nights with Brad and I? Wine nights, wine nights are nice. I, I actually enjoy them a lot. They don't happen as often as I like. I've come to the realization that life is too short. And everyone has heard this and everyone knows it. I've just decided to buy my own love. And that makes really, it sounds funny when you say that, but the things that I didn't feel like I deserved before being that hardworking, driven, come from nothing. I don't, I don't really second guess it. Some mm -hmm. things I do, but now it's like, you want it? Just get it. Just get it. Because you don't know what happens tomorrow. And again, don't go out and spend all your money. Make sure you're planning right. for your future. Right. right. This is not financial <laughs> advice. Don't come to me. But. So you're saying splurge on the quality wine. Splurge on the quality wine. It's fine. It'll be okay. Um, you know, for me, it's been, again, going back to the passions of life, bought more things for the kids and spending the money that we would have spent anyway on going on a vacation and you know things that mm -hmm. we would have done anyway just like maybe a little bit nicer but you're also i think you're also using your time differently to the point where you're you said you're home for dinner more often with your family so the time you would have been giving to a job or something else before you've repurposed in your life and put maybe in a place where it belonged yeah so that could be part of kind of like buying your love too like yeah buying again i'm buying my own love i'm trying yeah. not to i'm trying to overextend what i may have missed in the past and again i'm not great i'm not the home at five every day when i say dinner i'm home at like six six thirty and it's like kind of late and yes i know amy i'm trying <laughs> but in the past it would be midnight so like, guess what? That's well, way, yeah. way better. Yeah. It's a challenge. It's a focus, but working on it just like anything else. I was say I didn't want to ask this question, but I'm going to ask it, you know, um, for the listeners for advice. And the reason I didn't want to ask that or say that is because I think you've given us advice. Your story is our advice. But is there is there something that you have done for yourself either a therapist helped you through it or you come up with it yourself that gets you through the low and helps you to move forward? That's a great question, Joe. You want to give a three-pronged answer to that? I, I missed one therapy before in my list of things. So yes, I also go to PTSD trauma therapy as mm -hmm. well. forgot about that one. My therapist has helped me ground myself into what is happening now. It doesn't matter what happened before. Don't live in the past. Live in the future. Look forward. Right. 
If you look back, you're only going to go back. If you look forward, you're only going to go forward. So that's what I try to do. Difficult. It's difficult because, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to say. Oh, yeah. and, and it's easy to, it, it's logical, right? You know, like, well, of course, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm not what I did yesterday. I'm not whatever. But the, it's almost a magnetic gravitational pull. Absolutely. That pu keeps pulling you back to this event or this mistake or this thing. That's right. And you, you really, I, I guess, you know how a, a rocket ship uh, has to have enough thrust to get up and out. And if it doesn't, it just falls back. Comes right back. That's correct. And that's where I think this, and we have in this series, this whole pivot, you know, how you pivot to the new way of life, the new, their new thing, you, you know, your new life now, that's a tremendous amount of strength that it takes. And I would bet every day, but as time goes on, right, it takes less and less thrust to prevent yourself from falling back. Yeah, L less, less thrust, but also becomes more of a normal feeling mm -hmm. the more you do something that you can incorporate into your everyday and into your everyday right and you know on that which is a great example for those that are like oh i don't know how to begin when you're feeling like you can't or there's something that's getting in your way and you're quote unquote don't have the thrust to go forward just stop realize whatever it is you're doing sit down feel your feet on the ground feel your butt on the chair feel your hands on the wall it's like, really think about that thing. It's like, that's happening right now. And I promise you, you'll stop thinking about whatever it was that you were thinking about going backwards on and then think about the next thing, move forward. That, that is great. It's really like, get your bearings. Like, just, just stop. Get your I love that. Yeah. Move forward. Yeah. Let's move forward. Yeah. So you mentioned that Fantastic. there's a three-pronged approach that you take. I think we got prong number one. That's one. Here. Number two. She's good with these, remembering the it's good. numbers. Well, you, we labyrinthed for a second, so I figured let's... <laughs> and it was, it was such a good labyrinth, but I wanted to make sure we came back. No, you're good. We have three. She doesn't need cognitive memory therapy. No, she good. doesn't. No. I do. I should learn from you. The second, it's a Japanese proverb that I've used before. Fall seven times and stand up eight. Doesn't matter what happens. Mm -hmm. I might get knocked down. I will get knocked down. What's it going to take to stand up? It Just, might take me longer. It might be more work. How do I stand? Literally, figuratively, emotionally, I got to get back up. And then the third thing, which you'll probably ask Christina, is network. Family, friends, your social media network, whatever it might be. Huge part. I have an amazing network. I have amazing friends. I have an amazing family. And lean on them. People want to help. I am not one to ask for it. I was just going to say, let them, right? I am not one to ask. But when people in general are good, there are good humans out there. And even if it's not in your face, and it's very difficult to accept, people want to help. But you have to allow them to. And that was a huge, huge wall that needed to be knocked down on my end. Once I did, everything kind of fell into place. Support, right. family. I mean, family was there from the beginning, but yeah. friends. 
as Christina said, I would talk to friends and I'd ask them how they were doing. And I was literally broken. <laughs> we would be like, Sam, you're broken. We're fine. <laughs> support. Yeah. A lot of the support. So any pieces of advice, Sam, because sometimes it's challenging to know how to be there for people when they're going through something so traumatic. So for listeners, as they're thinking about people that are in their own lives and struggling, what would you tell them? What helped you the most? Was it just being there? Was it being normal? Like, was it talking about what happened? I think it really depends on the person in the relationship, obviously. So not everything is cookie cutter in that way. In the beginning, when this all hit against social media, everyone and their mother reaches out. Everyone. And it's almost impossible to remember who did and who didn't. And I'm sure they all care. And I'm sure they all felt something by reaching out. And I super appreciated it. But when it's hundreds of people, it's a blur. The ones I remember the most are the ones who followed up after. A week? A month? I personally am very sentimental. I have a wall, still. The wall in my living room where my hospital, rolling hospital bed was, if that makes any sense, mm -hmm. of all the cards that people sent. They may have texted, they may have called, but I went to bed every night and I woke up every morning and I looked at that wall. My support wall, my, I don't know, my push wall. I called it my, I got this wall. And that's been one of my resonating, like a marketing campaign is what I've called it is, I got this, mm -hmm. whatever it is, I got this. And, uh, that's what helped me. It's just a follow up, just a text, whatever that relationship might be thinking of you. How are you? And, and it, it could be like asking if you're really close with the person, yeah. maybe they're not ready to talk about it, letting them talk about it when they want it. Just a simple, I'm thinking of you. Yeah. And the response you'll get back is, would be very telling usually. For me, I'm an open book. It's too much. But. Yeah. We were, really nice. we were pretty much making jokes at your expense right away. So hopefully that went over okay. I loved it. <laughs> we're like, come on, Sam. Can you help out a little bit around here? <laughs> uh, in my wheelchair. That's yeah. right. Well, um, this has been so incredible, Sam. And I mean, I'm going to take away, fall down seven times, get back up eight. Or what was it? Stand set. Fall seven times and stand up eight. Fall seven times, stand up eight. That has incredibly poignant meaning considering the situation that you have endured and uh, continue to move forward from. But I think for us, for our listeners, just think about that in your every single day life. We get knocked down sometimes mentally. You can get knocked down every minute if you let yourself get there. So in your challenging times, in your darkest times, just think about ground yourself in that moment, look forward, and always remember to stand up. So Sam, thank you so much for this. Thanks for your friendship. I hope you'll be my friend after this. Always. And uh, if you want to tell people how they can learn more about you, connect with you, engage with you, different things that you support and care about, how can people engage with you? So I'm pretty active on uh, LinkedIn. 
I am not the only Sam Moravati. I am the only one that's based in New York. So don't connect with the guy that's in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> I work for hmm, company. Uh, very large tech company. Very large tech company. <laughs> um, so yeah, on LinkedIn, I'm not very good at the rest of them. Social stuff. Happy to connect. Happy to talk. I do a lot of uh, support for others that are going through difficult situations. One specifically on this topic is called Backbones. It's a nonprofit organization. They help individuals that have spinal cord injuries or spinal cord diseases, help talk to other people that have gone through it, what they can do, what they can expect. They're a really small nonprofit based out of Chicago. I've just recently started working with them. And I actually found out about them through another group called Immerman Angels, which help provide support to those that are going through cancer or family member of cancer, survivors, or those that have lost people to cancer. Just two really great organizations that are close to me at this time. And uh, yeah, happy to hear from anyone that you know wants some support or wants to connect. That's awesome. And you're already yeah. finding a way to use this experience and do good with it for others. So that that is Sam Moravati in a nutshell right there. From New York. That works yeah. for a big company. <laughs> big tech big, company. Big tech company. <laughs> big tech company. Like one of the biggest. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. This was wonderful. Yeah. Really. Thanks for Sam, having me. Sam, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks, listeners. We appreciate you all. Oh, and if you liked what you heard today, aside from connecting with Sam Moravati out of New York, checking out some of those incredible charities and seeing if there's anything that you are inclined to support, please like, subscribe, leave us a review, send us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a story of resilience that you'd like to share, let us know. I think that our listeners, hopefully you guys are all getting a lot out of this because I know I leave so inspired yeah, it's amazing every time that we have these conversations i love these don't stop Thank you got you, it Sam. wherever you are whatever your story thanks for spending time with us this morning now go and make a difference in your world so what do you say sam quality wine this friday quality, your place <laughs> quality wine funny story about that <laughs> only drink quality wine yeah, the funny story is we brought what was not quality wine, but called quality wine, and poor Sam had to drink it. If it says quality, it's not. It's not. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Bye.